people have the ability to change and learn from this, but institutions, the systems, all of those will remain the same unless the people at the top take it seriously in those institutions. Welcome back to the Thriving Lawyers Podcast. Here is the second half of my conversation with Shane Scott. Systemically, how do you think the practice of law plays a part in lawyers' mental health, emotional health, physical health? Or do you? I guess I'll ask you first, do you think it plays a part? And and if it does, how does it? Well, I think that the practice itself has stressors that are there no matter what. But I think that there is a balance between being a zealous advocate for your client and being abusive to other people. And I think that to some extent, there are protections in place for lawyers who are in those situations, such as, you know, there's the lawyer's assistance program to help lawyers who are having a hard time coping with the stress of the profession. There are, in certain cases, you can make a bar complaint, even though I still am very cautious about that, unless things have gotten to the point where it's very abusive. For example, there's a lawyer in New York who actually was suspended for four months for making threatening statements. And so I think that the law just kind of perpetuates a lot of imposter syndrome and a lot of self-doubt that can really get out of hand if it's not checked. And we just have a lot of unchecked mental anguish in this practice. I'm glad, though, you mentioned that a lawyer's assistance program, because that's a fantastic resource throughout the country. I think one state calls it Lawyers Helping Lawyers, but a similar type programs that I, I, I actually do work with one in uh, Vancouver, where I am now, Vancouver, BC, where uh, you can get free, at least I think most of them are free, or at least very reduced cost, free individual counseling or groups even. I'm starting a grief group for lawyers on Monday, for oh, lawyers cool. grieving the death of a loved one. So it's a really important resource. And I think lawyers, and tell me your experience with this personally and with colleagues, lawyers can tend to isolate themselves for various reasons, because for many lawyers, it's not safe to show vulnerability, or they think, hey, I'm a fixer. I should be able to fix other people's problems. Why shouldn't be able to fix mine? So I'm not going to reach out to anybody. What do you think about that? So Harvard Business Review actually had an article that came out a few years ago that said that lawyers are among the loneliest professionals. Mm. I think we're right behind doctors. And I think that this practice actually rewards isolation. You know, the less we socialize, the more we can build. But then I think there's also isolation because we think that our problems are unique to us sometimes. So when I was Mm -hmm. getting ready to burn out, I thought like, I'm the only person who is going through this. Everybody else has it figured out but me. I should have figured this out by now. Everybody's going to find out that I'm a fraud. If I were better, this wouldn't be happening to me. You know, all those thoughts completely unchecked. And, you know, if you don't reach out to other people, you can really feel like you are the only person who is going through this. And so I think that lawyers should know that if you speak to someone, that doesn't mean that there's a weakness there. It actually means that you will find out that everybody else is feeling the same way. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's amazing when you when you disclose stuff to other people that the often they can uh, relate with similar stories and what a difference that can make to know that you're not alone. There was an interesting study around or many studies around stress, specifically the book that came out in the last few years called The Upside of Stress that says that when we're stressed, we actually released one of the chemicals release is oxytocin. And that is the chemical that encourages us to connect and reach out to people. So if we listen to our body when we're stressed, our body often is telling us to connect and to reach out to others. But often what's getting in the way is the belief that I can't or I don't, or it's not safe for me to reach out to other people because then I'd look stupid or I'd look weak. And I we don't have time to talk all about the research around stress. But I did want to mention one of the, the results of stress is to release a chemical that encourages us to reach out to people. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that research or not. Uh, I'm not heard of that, but I find that very interesting. And I think it's mm-hmm. definitely something that lawyers struggle with listening to. Mm-hmm. But I try to basically force my group of friends and I, we generally force each other to socialize. Right now, it's just Zoom calls. But we put stuff on the calendar. We say, okay, well, we have to, you know, have a Zoom call this Friday, or we have to do something together in order to make sure that we're holding on to our sanity. And every time we do it, we feel better. The time leading up to it, you know, you can find all these other things that you want to do. Should I cancel? I have all this work to do. But when you actually have the social interaction, you almost always feel better. So maybe it would help if for us, for lawyers out there who, get into that same pattern of having this thing coming up, but have, but it, where it can be so easy to put it off because I've got this work to do, to remind yourself how you felt during and after you had the Zoom meeting with friends. And that might encourage you to not cancel. That's what, that's what helps me a lot is to think about how, how do I, how has that helped me in the past? How did I feel afterwards when I've done this? And that can help me break through the habit of just continuing to work. Absolutely. Yes. That's what I do. Still talking about thriving, but but looking at more events that are going on outside of our individual practices and what's going on in the country. We had a guest a couple of ep- episodes ago, Sydney Evering, who's a lawyer, African-American lawyer at Parker Poe in South Carolina. And we talked about the killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor by the police and uh, Ahmed Arbery by civilians. And those are just three of, of many over the decades and, and longer of the systemic mistreatment of people of color in law enforcement, health, education, etc. And we had a good discussion about how it was impacting him as a lawyer and how he coped. And uh, Shane, if you don't mind, I'd, I'd be curious how you have those events that started, I guess, a couple months ago uh, with the most recent uh, killings, how, how it impacted you initially and how you've been able to cope, how it's affected your, your lawyering, if it has. Sure. So I've been conducting anti-harassment, anti-discrimination, and anti-bias training for most of my practice, and ironically, to police departments, as well as you know other public entities and other... So you've been, you've been doing uh, presenting programs... Correct. On these topics. Okay. And I think that there have been several documented shootings and killings of Black Americans that have been publicized over the years. But I think that 
with everything that was going on when George Floyd died and when we had Ahmaud Aubrey and we have Breonna Taylor, when these particular deaths occurred, I think that all of the world was forced to look and forced to watch. And the movement that's come out of it has been, in my opinion, probably one of the biggest movements that has happened, you know, even if you look at the civil rights movement from the 50s and 60s, this has been so much larger because we have the social media that we have. So on that side, it's been hopeful. It's been surprising because so many deaths have gone by, barely discussed by, I want to say, non-Black colleagues that I have. Mm -hmm. This one seems to have touched everyone. So on one hand, it's been traumatizing. On one hand, it has been, I feel very hopeful that something is different this time as far as what's going on. But at the same time, because of the trainings that I do and because of the research that I do on bias and racism, I recognize that bias and racism is not just a mistake or something that happens every few years and shows up on television. It's really a state of mind and it's a system. And if I can take you back to one of my favorite shows of all time, The Wire, there was Mm -hmm. a line where the lieutenant says, people are capable of change but institutions are not. And that line rings in my head over and over again, because people have the ability to change and learn from this. But institutions, the systems, all of those will remain the same unless the people at the top take it seriously in those institutions. Mm -hmm. And so I say all that to say that even though I am hopeful, there is a lot of work that needs to be done because I don't think people have the full understanding of what creates bias and how it is a human inherent trait and that there needs to be more education and not just social media posts and not just the, as as it's called, performative allyship. There has to be long-term systemic changes before any of this can really get better. So as far as how I've coped, I've used the same tools that I've always used, meditation and journaling. I journal a lot to just get everything out on paper and to see exactly how I'm feeling and to just be okay that some of the feelings or some of the thoughts that I'm having are not useful in the moment. Um, Mm -hmm. Some of the thoughts that I've had are very angry or very upset, and those are not useful in the moment, but actually accepting that that's how I feel and that I need to process it so I can move forward. And so that has been amazing for me. Um, But there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And I feel like I am in my zone of genius when I'm doing the trainings and trying to educate more and more people especially people in law enforcement about these systems. Yeah. So the journalists, what you said about journaling is, is really important and about, about our, our thoughts that are not helpful. We talked earlier about how mindfulness helps us push back on those unhelpful thoughts and helps us make better decisions or better choices, both for ourselves and, and the people we work with and have relationships with. And we need to first acknowledge that we have those thoughts, those unhelpful thoughts and feelings, right? Because if we push them away, and this is the same thing about bias, 
if we have these thoughts that are racist, biased, misogynist, we become too uncomfortable with them and push them away without acknowledging that we have them, then they're still going to be there and they're still going to come out in, in our behavior in some way, right? Or in our words. I think the disconnect really comes down to people believe that if someone is racist, then they are a terrible person. So if they have any type of racist thoughts, they immediately push them away because they're like, wait a second, I am not a terrible person. I don't think that, but they're not processing it. They're not acknowledging it. It's just getting pushed deeper into their subconscious and they're still acting on that same thought. But if they could maybe have a more mindful thought about, okay, what, where is this coming from? You know, what, what am I believing? And can I change this belief? I think that there'd be a lot more effective conversations if people didn't just default to racism has to be this horrible, awful thing. And because I didn't Mm -hmm. do this horrible, awful thing, I'm not racist. Right. right. Like the uh, woman in Central Park who called um, the police on the bird watcher, the uh, African-American bird watcher, and he asked her to put a leash on her dog. And she, you know, I think, and typical in these kind of situations said she's not racist. I think what like what you said, when people think of racist, they think of KKK, mm-hmm. they think of organizations like that and out and out, obviously racist behaviors, lynchings, things like that. Mm-hmm. But what you're talking about are the more subtle things that we all have, stereotypes that we have, these automatic reactions we have when we see someone who's different than us. And when we just think of two categories, either racist or not racist, and the racist being KKK, then I can't be that. So I've got to be in the non-racist category. So they resist anything, any thoughts that might put them in the racist category. Right. And Malcolm Gladwell, who I've read all of his books, I love all of his books. He had two books that I recommend, Blink and Mm -hmm talking to strangers, where he discusses these automatic reactions to people and how we make assumptions about people that we don't know and how we only have a limited amount of information. And so if that limited amount of information happens to be race, people are going to default to certain behaviors. But then when they're asked you know, to explain their behaviors later, They're not going to obviously attribute it to race. They're going to say, well, it was the way that they talked. It was the way that they did that, this or that. And a lot of times I'll hear people say things like, I'm not racist because I have a black friend. And Mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with whether or not some type of behavior was offensive. But I think just like you said, it's like racist or not racist. But there's such a subtle line between the two that people, I think, just don't understand. Well, there's a third category. Third category is is learning. And that's where most of us fall. There's a book I'll put out there, too. Uh, We're we're giving people a nice, good reading list. In this interview, Shane, it's a book called Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. I think it's K-A-H-N-E-M-A-N, I hope. Daniel Kahneman won the Nobel Prize in Economics for his research. So the book does talk about biases around our economics our choices around spending money, but it also talks in uh, talks about bias in a way that very much applies to what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. So when these events, these most recent events happened, the protests now are ongoing, what kind of conversations were going on at your firm about all this? And, and were they helpful? Were they constructive? Were they uncomfortable? Were they all the above? Well, it's interesting because since 
we are kind of in this hybrid of working from home. Mm -hmm. Um, There weren't as many conversations as maybe there would have been if we were all at the office full time. But the managing partner was extremely supportive and immediately said that he would be happy to put any type of statement on the website that we were comfortable with. When I say we, I mean the other Black lawyers at our firm. So we actually wrote an anti-racist statement that is on our Mm. website now. Oh, wow. And that was very important to me. I think that all attorneys, whether Black or, or not Black, should really pay attention to what their leaders are doing around race Mm -hmm. and around bias. I know some people who work at certain places where it wasn't discussed at all. I know, on the other hand, about people whose firms paid for the therapist to come in and speak to their Black attorneys. Mm -hmm. And so there is no perfect response, but to pretend it's not happening at all is definitely a signal to lawyers who care about an anti-racist workplace to find another place. And when you say, was it just you and the other black lawyers who wrote the statement? Yeah. Or, okay. Was it helpful for you personally to be involved in that, Shane? I'll be honest with you. At first, I didn't want to do it at all. And then I thought to myself, well, that doesn't make any sense. I think I was still working through the trauma of the situation. Mm-hmm. But eventually I had to say to myself, well, look, you got to write it. And so, you know, we worked together, we put it together fairly quickly. And, you know, it was on the website, but it was really tough, because you're thinking to yourself, is this really helpful to my mental health? And on the other hand, you say, well, this is actually helpful, it is cathartic to put this together. And it is important that the firm fully supported it, and that the managing partner partner did take me aside and did talk to me about this. And It's one thing to say things, it's another thing to do things. And so it ended up being a good thing to do. Did it end up feeling cathartic? It did. It felt really good when it was out there. So I'm I'm glad we did it. Anything else about this particular issue that you wanted to say, Shane? Sure. I've had a lot of uh, non-Black lawyers reach out to me and ask me questions, make sure I'm okay, which I truly appreciate. But I also know some Black lawyers who thought that people reaching out to them was disingenuous. So everybody is different. And I think that we need people to be allies. And we recognize that some non-Black allies feel like they may may make a mistake in Mm -hmm. how they try to implement allyship. But I say, go for it. And if you make a mistake, apologize and just try to move forward. Because I think we need everybody in the fight against systemic racism and against bias. And, And I think to circle back, mindfulness helps with that to take a moment and to be in the moment and to just think about what you are doing and saying and how important it is to the overall human society. Yeah, I love that. I think we need to be okay about making mistakes that we're going to step in it. Uh, and I'm talking about me as a, as a white guy. We're going to step in it. Even if, you know, our, our best intentions, we'll make a mistake, we'll say the wrong thing, and it'll be uncomfortable, it'll be awkward. Or, and that's where, again, you're right, mindfulness will, will help. When that happens, and someone comes to me and says, you know what you, what you said, I, I don't think you meant it, but it was hurtful. And at that moment, If I'm mindful, I'm thinking, okay, this doesn't feel good. I'm feeling defensive. I'm not going to act on that. I'm going, my job is to listen to this person. Mm -hmm. Or if it's like, I can't control my emotions right now, I can say, do you mind if I just go get a drink and then let me come back and let's talk more. 
whatever it is you need to do to stay engaged. And I agree with you, mindfulness can be a great tool with that. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation, Shane. As I said, I think we could do a whole program on mindfulness. We could do a whole program on being a intentional anti-racist. We may have to do just a Shane the Thriving Lawyer podcast, a whole separate group of episodes. But I really do appreciate your setting aside the time to be on this podcast. For for the listeners out there, she actually, two weeks ago, was in a three-hour webinar for us, the ethics program that we did for the New Jersey Bar. So Shane has been giving us a lot of her time, and we really appreciate it. Yeah. Shane, yeah. thanks again for being on the podcast, and I hope we, we get to work again and talk again soon. Thanks for having me. And thank you again to Allie Edwards for her wonderful work in making this podcast. Allie, thank you so much for being an excellent producer. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Thriving Lawyers Podcast. We love hearing from our loyal listeners, so please feel free to email us any questions, comments, suggested topics, or guest recommendations at the following address, feedback at thrivinglawyerspodcast.com. The Thriving Lawyers Podcast is brought to you by Real-Time Creative Learning Experiences, a national provider of continuing legal education and professional development programs that leave participants engaged, encouraged, and equipped to pursue meaningful and sustainable change in their practices, their lives, and the organizations they work in. And by Osborne Conflict Resolution, your experienced guides through the uncharted terrain of business and family law disputes based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Thriving Lawyers Podcast.